1: Well, Good morning. Thank you for joining us for a new week of African Dialogue. You're listening to us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, you're listening to us on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet and uh, on our shortwave service into sub-Saharan Africa. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. Uh, right now, we're looking at the land question in South Africa. It's currently in the Parliament's Constitutional Review Committee and it's just concluded its oral submissions on land expansion Appropriation without compensation. Various stakeholders, including banks and trade union federations, farmers' organizations, and civil society have made uh, submissions uh, before MPs. Co-chair of the Constitutional Review Committee, Luis Zimande, said something very interesting, says saying that provisional data from the provincial public hearing indicated that citizens are urging for an amendment to the Constitution. But there's also still different views that have come through the committee that uh, actually also uh, contradict that assertion made uh, by uh, the Co-chair of uh, the committee But joining us in studio We've got Elmin Duplessis Who is the Associate Professor in Law At the Northwest uh, University Thank you for coming into the studio I know you were just in Joburg So it's great to have you here Elmine. Thank you And uh, we've got Professor uh, Ruth Hall Who is a Senior Researcher At the Institute for Poverty, Land and Agrarian Studies Haven't spoken to her in a while But I've been hearing her speaking In different platforms but, And also thanks to the uh, board member Of the Foundation Foundation for human rights advocate uh, Dumisa and Zabeza who's joining us uh, on the line. Uh, Almin, tell us a little bit about uh, just uh, how you got into these conversations about land and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you think the process is uh, going through right now. A lot of interesting um, oral submissions that were made last week. What are your thoughts around it?
0: Um, so I got into this conversation. I actually did my doctorate eight years or ten years ago on compensation for expropriation so this is obviously something we've been dealing with for a while and it's been coming for a very very long while so I think people like um, the advocate and Ruth and we all (laughs) we've been waiting for this process to catch public momentum so I think we are glad that this is now out in the open and it's getting the urgent attention it needs. Um, So the process now is the Constitutional Review Committee finished up its public hearings Mm. both um, in the provinces and in parliament so they must now go back and make a suggestion to parliament to say whether they think the constitution should be amended or not and I would presume that would include examples of how they think it should be amended so as you said um, if you look at all the hearings in the provinces um, it seems that there is an the most people said they want yeah. the constitution to be amended. If you read the boot right, sure. it's also like the ANC wants to amend the constitution. Yeah. So yeah. the question I think now rolls more into the direction of how will this constitution be amended? Yeah. Sure. Um, from what I gathered from the questions and the things that I read in the in the press, uh, there's a possibility of only a slight amendment to make it clear that clear that it is possible to ama- uh, to expropriate yeah. without, without compensation. Yeah but from my perspective that would not be a drastic change yeah. in the constitution that would just be a clarification so in law that should not have a bigger impact um yeah, yeah. it should not change the sure. law as it is at the moment. Sure, let
1: me let me come to the Advocate uh, and just to hear his views on the process currently. And I was made sure uh, that uh, your organisation, Foundation for Human Rights, also made submission. Advocate, uh, are you happy with the process where it was and where the conversation was? Especially the fact that we had both uh, public uh, hearings and also we saw uh, the submissions happening in Parliament.
3: Well, I mean, the presentation in Parliament by the Foundation, which I made, uh, had a preamble which sought to clarify that the position was not a unanimous position of the Foundation for Human Rights. Mm. Um, it was uh, um, a position that reflected more the views of management, sure. and program staff. Who have been involved you know on the ground uh with community based organizations farm workers and farm dwellers and women on the farms that uh, that you know they were of the view that there is a need for um you know uh, an amendment of section twenty five uh because of the following concerns firstly they discovered that there is a slow pace of land reform over the last 24 years of uh, post-apartheid rule. Uh, Secondly, there was a lot of racial and gender inequality in land ownership and that continues to exist to date. Thirdly, they found that the control of land by individuals, especially by women in communal areas is still a challenge. Fourthly, they found that there is a huge challenge in access of land in urban areas by those who are dispossessed. And of course, in view of the high levels of hunger, according to an Oxfam report of 2014, the question of, you know, land reform is not given the, the importance that it should be given. And... Uh, there has also been a very high failure rate of land reform projects. And therefore, you know, we submitted that uh, Section 25 of the Constitution should be amended to make it less ambiguous in its attempt to balance the interests of existing property owners and the vast majority of those who are disposed of their property. In other words, there's so much of an emphasis that In section 25, it's the land property owners, people who already hold land, without looking at the history. Even though section 25 3b talks about the history of acquisition of the land that should be taken into account when we Mm. deal with land reform, we submit that it should also take into account the history of dispossession, Mm. because to look, as we say in our, as we said in our submission, just to look at the history of acquisition of the property and restricting that history to the legal owner of land at the point of expropriation is ahistorical. Because it does not look into the history of dispossession and how that dispossession in a post-apartheid democratic South Africa can never be justified at all.
1: Let me bring in uh, Professor Ruth Hall into the conversation. Professor Ruth Hall, I know that you've been very much critical, especially at the beginning of uh, the conversation of land expropriation without compensation on the current land reform uh, program, and you have been uh, criticizing it, saying that uh, it is very much slow-paced and it has been inefficient in the way that's been carried out, and uh, you've been highlighting the fact that we should sort out the bottlenecks within that land reform program before we start uh, thinking about land expropriation without compensation. Have you adjusted that viewpoint um, since our last conversation? I think it was uh, uh, last year sometime.
2: Well, thanks for that question. So let's be very clear. Um, land dispossession in South Africa is a basis for racial inequality in, in, in our country. It really is. Uh, it's a historical grievance. It's an enormous issue for us to deal with. How have we dealt with it? Pretty badly. Uh, we have a constitution that says that the state not only may but actually must embark on land reforms. We have a constitution that says that the state may expropriate land in the interests of uh, achieving greater racial equality in access to land. So we actually have a mandate for transformation in the Constitution. It's already there. (laughs) We already have it. And the interesting thing and the important political point to make is that the state uh, and the ANC in government has chosen not to use these powers for the past 22 years since the Constitution was passed in 1996. So I think the really big question that we should be asking is where is the politics of the state right now? Uh, Now, I've been part of a very interesting uh, community-based workshop over the past few days with activists from around the country, every single province. And people are saying, our problems are these. The state is corrupt. It doesn't allocate land to the poor. It allocates land to the rich. We have a problem with, uh, with, uh, with traditional authorities who are charging us rent. We have a problem with uh, farm, work, farm dwellers being evicted from farms. We have a problem with urban people being evicted from urban land. These are the real issues. So I think that, in a sense, we have misspecified what the problem is. And I think that there's a lot of blaming the Constitution for what have been really political debates. There's the, a the really important mm. political debate about who should get access to land on what terms. At the same time, I would say it's very likely that we will have an amendment to the Constitution, and the ANC will favor one that is quite minimal and will clarify that there can be expropriation without compensation. But let's be clear, the ANC hasn't used any power for the past 22 years, so why do we think that it will now? The, the big question is how will the politics uh, turn out? I think that we need to uh, really clarify what the demands are mm. from ordinary people mm. across
1: the country. I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to those questions. I mean, I want you to look at some of those two issues that were brought forward by uh, Professor Ruth Hall there, especially the structural mishaps that we already have in the current uh, land reform structure, and uh, Advocate Dumis Antebeza calling for the fact that that uh, change of Section 25 should actually have that kind of component that contextualizes um, uh, the the history of acquisition of land in the country. Well, let's take a quick break. It's 11.20 Central African time. We're discussing the South Africa's Parliament's Constitutional Review Committee. The big conversation was around uh, a change in Section 25 and the inclusion of uh, uh, land expropriation without compensation. That's the emphasis that everyone has been talking about. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with our guests after this
2: swiss chocolate wouldn't
1: be swiss chocolate without african cocoa (laughs) you know it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important africa is to the global economy
0: and as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there nothing's ever going to change i believe it was one of the uh, ancient greek philosophers who said
1: that when we teach we'll learn twice hello africa welcome to 1000 african voices on channel africa 1,000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi see on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African Perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, you're listening to us on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio book. And our external service into sub-Saharan Africa is on the shortwave frequency, 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. And a great uh, um, panel that we have today, we have Almin Duplessis joining us in our studio, Associate Professor in Law in the Northwest University. Professor Ruth Hall is a Senior Researcher at the Institute for Poverty, Land and Agrarian Studies, An advocate, Dumis Ansebeza, joins us. He's a board member of the Foundation for Human Rights. Uh, Two different points coming from our other panellists on the line there, Elmin. Uh, The fact that, uh, um, you know, advocate Ansebeza is highlighting the fact that, uh, uh, you know, this change in the Constitution will allow, um, if uh, he's submission is taken to heed, should actually take uh, historical disposition into account. And uh, um, Professor Ruth Hall arguing the fact that the structural mishaps that we're currently seeing in the current reform program is actually where things are making this process a little bit harder because is it a constitutional matter or is an, is it an implementation issue? Okay, I'm going to start with Ruth's concern first. Of course, I agree um, because it's difficult
0: not to agree if you have a high-level panel report that pinpointed where the problem is and that also highlighted that the the problem lies not in the Constitution. And from there, I've always said, we, we're asking a legal question that needs a political answer. And we're asking a question with a yes or no answer. And in yes or no type of mm. questions, there's not enough room to say this is why we are here or this is how we need to f- move forward. Mm. So many of us... Um, Advocate Nzibeza and Ruth Hall, you know, we try to say this is why we are here and this is, these are ways forward. So yeah. um, that came out of the conversation, which I think is a good thing. So yeah. we must hang on to those yeah. diagnoses and, and the suggestions and we must work with that. Um, so big structural mishaps i would like to call for ways to hold government accountable to use its powers because an expropriation power is a power from the state only the state can exercise that power you cannot force the state to exercise the power so i would like to see even maybe in legislation that that the courts will be able to force the state to expropriate in certain circumstances because that's why we have so many deadlocks um the state started to Um, negotiate with farmers, it's been four or five years, it's at a deadlock, and now the state doesn't move over to expropriation. So can somebody go to court and force the state to expropriate? That would be an interesting move from from my legal perspective. Um, Contextualizing Section 25, very important. I think we saw last week uh, that some people still don't really understand the history of South Africa, right? I mean, we come from a sordid history, It's it's sometimes it's a very heavy history, but we sit here where we are because of what happened, not only during apartheid, also the 350 years before that. I mean, 1913 by 1913, so many people were really dispossessed of the land, and we need to also address that. So I I agree completely, and the question is just how do we do that? And I think that's where people like Ruth Hall, um the work that they do becomes very important because they have solutions for the. Once the state has expropriated the land, what happens after yeah. that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Coming to you, advocates, what, what are your thoughts around the fact that already we've seen uh, backlogs with the current reform program and... Uh, maybe that's where we're supposed to start issues as was emphasized by Professor Hall and uh, uh, that's a very interesting thing because because that um, reform program has been so structurally delayed in the past 20 years, are we going to be even able to achieve this new uh, mission that we're setting ourselves on, on land expropriation without compensation since we already have a current backlog?
3: Yeah, I, I think Ruth or uh, well, Professor Hall, speaks more <laughs> to a lack of a political will by those who are in, in the levers of power for not using the power that they have in their hands. And I agree with you hundred percent that there has been, a, that's why in the Foundation for Human Rights we point pinpointed the fact that over the last 20, 24 years, very little has happened less than the percentage i think less than 10% of land has been transferred in terms of the land reform program to black people but what i <laughs> i was saying is that when once we have demystified what section 25 3 says about the history of ownership to include the history of dispossession is that we will now deal pointedly with the fact that in 1913, which has been entrenched in Section 25, Mm. you can only claim land restoration after 1913, and 1913 is the problematic year, Mm. because that is the year that, you know, Uh, the indigenous people were dispossessed of 87% of the land. The white land government of the Union of South Africa passed legislation in 1913, which restricted the indigenous people to a mere 7% of South Africa's territory, which by then was already overcrowded and overgrazed. Mm. And this total percentage of the land was increased in law to 13% in 1936 a situation that prevailed until the advent of democracy in South Africa in 1994 so with all the political will in the world my answer to professor hall would be <laughs> 1913 and the perpetuation in 1936 of this and the enactment legislative enactment of inequality in land ownership, and in some instances denying on a racial and tribal basis access to land by the indigenous people of survey, there is what Ramaphosa must have been referring to when he talked about the original sin. Hmm. So with all, the, with all the efficiency, with all the political will that the ANC-led government could have implemented, they would not have Been able to transfer the Mm. 15 percent if they were efficient Mm. and that is for me that is the issue Mm. are we satisfied that in a post apartheid democratic republic of south africa which is a constitutional republic that we are talking about equality when we say the origin i mean the indigenous people are only who happen to be in the majority, in, in are uh, only entitled to 10% of the land. Mm.
2: So me,
1: that is the question. Let me bring it back to Professor Ruth Hall. What, what are your thoughts there, Professor, in terms of what uh, Advocate Dumis Antebeza is highlighting there, in terms of elaborating on that historical context?
2: Well, I entirely agree with him uh, on this historical context. Uh, but let's get back to the question of political will. So we have this historical con- context, which is of dispossession, and dispossession being the basis of poverty and inequality within the country. Now, what do we do? Uh, we have democracy in 1994. We have a new constitution in 1996. It says that the state must enact land reform. In fact, it, it doesn't only empower the state, it obliges the state to enact land reform. That says that it must redistribute people uh, to uh, make available land on an equitable basis. It must Restore land to people. So why has it not done so? I think that that's really the first key key question is why has the state Chosen not to embark on land reforms and I think that the ANC has been quite To say to say that they actually have failed on the Mm -hmm. land question But I think that the second question is to say well then if if the ANC has has chosen in government not to embark on land reforms very substantially to address this historical problem, then uh, what is the way forward? Now, I think that it's important to distinguish between two perspectives, and one is the ANC perspective, which is that we should clarify that the state may, on occasion, embark on land uh, expropriation without compensation versus the EFF perspective, which is that there should be state custodianship and nationalization of land. Those are two very, very very different points of view. Um, And my view is that actually what we're likely to see in this Constitutional Review Committee process is that the two parties are not likely to agree uh, on how to proceed. Uh, Because I think that the ANC is saying, okay, we will generally protect the market, but on occasion, we will expropriate without compensation versus the EFF position, which is that all land, no matter whether you're white or black, rich or poor, all land will, will belong to the state. And that, that, that also has um, has enormous implications. So I think that we're actually at a bit of a stalemate, mm. and it's going to be very important how we go this. Sure.
1: So. All right. Um, I know that I have to let you go there, Professor Ruth Hall. Um, let, I'm going to go for a quick break, and then I, I want uh, our two guests who are in our studio and one on the line uh, to give us a feedback to those contradictions that we're seeing politically in terms of how the expropriation process will unfold. And I know we, we saw the case that was being made by the banks in terms of the land value um, chain of uh, uh, of the process itself and how they actually relate with uh, this new um, conversation that's happening and seems like they're very conservative around these areas yes to protect their own assets but we'll deal with these contradictions that are still coming out even at this late stage of the debate welcome to change your game on channel africa the african
0: perspective we are coming to you from johannesburg right here in south africa i'm asanda beda your host Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor.
1: Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here. Palesa Mokuvong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and, and,
2: <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Right. <laughs>
1: It's 11.33 Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Uh, Today we're looking at the land question. It's currently at Parliament's Constitutional Review Committee. Here on African Dialogue, we've spoken on this very subject many, many times, and we seem to be coming back. And it's very important to come back, especially because in every stage this conversation of land in South Africa has been, it seems like there's new additional um, conversations that are taking place at different stages and let me take that back to you advocate Zabeza, before I come to Almin in the studio what Ruth Hall is highlighting before we had to let her go in terms of the political agenda that uh, maybe the ANC has versus to that of the EFF. EFF is calling for all land to be owned by government whereby The ANC has a more nuanced approach in terms of it says it still will have the interest of capital and the markets, uh, but it will appropriate land in terms of uh, uh, its own uh, imperatives and prerogatives. Um, How do we navigate that? Because it seems like we're still not clear the framework in which the expropriation itself will take place.
3: Well, in the Foundation for Human Rights, on behalf, on whose behalf I'm speaking, I can only say what we um, would hope could happen. So sure. And um, we think that, uh, I mean, litigation is. We anticipate there is going to be litigation mm-hmm. because we, you know, even with the, you know, the recommendations that we make which we believe are, you know, are are very reasonable. We say that land that is currently being utilized by labor tenants, by farm workers, by farm dwellers, should be expropriated without compensation from current owners and be given to those labor tenants. Uh, Because I mean, compensating farmers for this land would amount to overcompensation, really. uh, we 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 also say that uh, you know um land that is not used at all. uh you know land that is uh, you know uh, underutilized this that is land that not even the you know the um uh, the owners uh, would would have a quarrel with uh, when it if it, if it was uh, you know uh, uh, expropriated because it, there is no justification for holding land in a country suffering from land hunger as South Africa does mm. for speculation, for speculation purposes. Mm. Mm. They there are absentee landlords, so we say land redistribution should be focused on vulnerable and marginalised communities, such as women, farm workers, farm dwellers, unemployed youth, homeless persons mm. in urban areas. Uh, we say women must be allowed title to their own names in their own names in rural areas, mm. and uh, there must be an implementation of the recommendations of the high-level panel to allow direct ownership of land by people in rural areas, a simpler cost-effective method of transferring and registering title deeds should be developed and implemented. And then we say allotments in urban areas should be allocated to unemployed persons for the purposes of growing their own food. Now, we also recommend that land for housing should be allocated to persons in urban areas, especially those in informal settlements, close to job opportunities, people must be given land close to where they are working. And we even think that a land ombudsman should be appointed with a specific task of assisting vulnerable and marginalized communities to acquire and work land. Now, this is the position, Mm. and we even say, There should be a land CODESA or a land summit where a new agreement on how to improve and take land reform forward will be discussed, seeing that over the last 24 years, Mm. nothing has happened. So that is the position of the Foundation for Human Rights. Mm. Without actually saying uh, the EFF position or the ANC position, I don't understand how the ANC can even begin to talk about expropriation without compensation when for the last 24 years they could have they could have expropriated land and you know with very little compensation Mm -hmm. and in some instances for instance where farmers are in debt Mm -hmm. that land could be have been confiscated without compensation Mm -hmm. because the the land is in debt Mm -hmm. and as i say there are large tracts of land held you know, uh, for speculation, mm. and that should be, uh, in fact, the apartheid government. You know, for purposes of its own, you know, immoral uh, political uh, outcomes, they were able to expropriate so-called white land when they created the Transkei. Understand, places like Pot's and Jones mm. were so-called white areas. They expropriated those. Pay to compensation. That's why I cannot understand that when they had the power in their hands, they couldn't. Mm. Well, we say even now they still can do expropriation without compensation in, in the in the limited areas for purposes of empowering the communities, the marginalized, the poor, you know, the women in society, and that can be done, mm-hmm. and that can even be negotiated.
1: Mm. Let me let me get final statements from uh, Elmeen. W- what are your thoughts? I, I know that Advocate Zabez is looking at it from a socioeconomic perspective, but from your own individual viewpoint, how do you think this framework of land expropriation should unfold? Because there's still different patterns of thinking on uh, the systems to be adopted in making it happen. Yes, I think uh, there's actually quite a lot of common ground between our views
0: um if not <laughs> if if not that i completely agree with that um and i and i think we should have had a codaysa first before we started a process like this because expropriation is only a power for the state to acquire the land it doesn't look at the question as i said before what happens thereafter and we need and also, to have and also
1: questions around land value and yes you know
0: and and you yeah. know in what circumstances do we sure. deem it just to to expropriate for no compensation or if we do expropriate how can we help the courts determine what is just and equitable in a specific instance because that's a contextual question you cannot have a blanket justice and equity right so I think we 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 have started the process the wrong way around, and if from that could be, so we said, okay, wow, well, it it seems that the constitution stands in the way f- of the state to do effective land reform. And mm. I agree with Ruth Hall one hundred percent there. I I don't think people realize that land reform is a human right. It's mm. in our bill of rights. Mm. The state must. People have a right to see land reform work. It's mm. not just a a policy document or afterthought. We, we, we're we not having a conversation whether it must happen or not. We are having a conversation how it should happen. Sure. Um, so I think, yeah, and I think it's also then very important because especially from the right side of this debate, uh, the issue of nationalization is often conflated with what seems to be the ANC's position. I must also say the ANC doesn't have clear policy. So sure. we look at the documents and the... Uh, what's come came out in the past few months. months and yeah. we sort of detect from that that, yes, it seems to be a fairly market-driven process, but with the allowance of interference with private property rights in certain instances. Yeah. Um, but it would really help if the ANC wants to s- put on the table what their stance is. Yes, yeah. And I also understand that politically maybe that's dif- difficult. So I think there's a legal process and there's a political process and we need to s- slowly you know, divorce the two so that we can see what is possible in the law and what is political. And and rather, for me, from a lawyer's side, I want to know what can the law do to assist people? Mm. How far can we push the law? Um, how far can we hold the government accountable to doing what it's supposed to do in terms of the law? Because we have a big problem there of forcing the state to do what they are supposed to do. So, yes, I think um, a land could so a land audit would have been great before this process. Mm. Um And then if it was then necessary to change the constitution to go on that. But I also think, but then when I look back, I'm thinking, you know, this whole process opened up a public debate and we are having this conversation and the public is now aware of what's going on. So maybe that helps us, civil society,
1: to come together and to find ways to Mm. move forward. And in terms of that idea of the land audit, I think also it's important to understand that the fact that land values as – effective as how that particular land is utilized at particular point whether it is expropriated so it's not necessarily the land itself that has value but how that land is going to be utilized and I don't think the conversation has even went that far.
0: No and I also think but I also think you know, we are having two conversations at some times. Yeah. You, you know, the people who's got the land is having this o- economic conversation. So, and they yeah. think when they bring the figures and facts that they're not being emotional. I always tell them, you just, <laughs> you're just hiding behind your facts your and facts, figures. Yeah. You are very scared. Yeah. So, you know, own your emotion. Be scared. But let's see how to go forward. Yeah. And on the other side, you have a very a- historical, historical, emotional, yeah. sure. which which I also totally understand. But yeah. then we also need to come you know, somewhere to find each other, to say, okay, these things need to be addressed, Mm. but we can also not totally harm the economy. Of course, there's going to be some impact on property rights. We must also accept that, and there will be some impact on the economy, and we must also accept that. We are not just economic animals. We Mm. are social beings. Um, But what is the best way forward? So I also said in my presentation, I think there's no perfect solution. There isn't a perfect solution because our history is, is... very contested. It's very divisive, uh, divided. But there are better
1: solutions and there are worse solutions, so we must find a better solution. Well, that's where we're going to let it go. Uh, Thank you to Elmin Duplessis, Associate Professor in Law at the Northwest uh, University. Thank you uh, as well to Advocate Dumison Tabeza, board member of the Foundation for Human Rights. And uh, thank you also, earlier on, we were speaking to Professor Ruth Hall, Senior Researcher at the Institute for Poverty, Land and Agrarian Studies. I think uh, this is opening a new can of worms this conversation and I think it hasn't ended even I think within that amendment of uh, the section 23 of the constitution I think more conversations will happen around the wording of that particular section and uh, it will be interesting to see how things unfold